those. Uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. I don't know if you know this, but Chi Alpha tends to be quite the interesting, how, how should I say this? Kind of turns into a, a, a good dating service. <laughs> what? Who here, knows, who here knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> and because you kind of meet someone special in Chi Alpha, some of you have found it necessary to want to get married. Yes. Yes. Who, who here also knows, knows a little bit? Yeah, yes. Okay. So we got like, guys, we have like four or more Chi Alpha weddings this year, which is kind of insane. Maybe even more, depending on how. Just kidding. It's, it is wild. It's awesome. Exciting. There's, um, this is quite the movement to be a part of. And why not meet your spouse who loves Jesus, who, who's sitting on the other half of the room. Amen. So the, the, thing about, the thing about getting married is, you know how girls from like the age of 13, you're dreaming about your wedding? Yes. Well, so, so guys are similar, but a little bit different. So I, I remember... Getting, uh, when, when Jessica and I were getting married, there she is, I'm looking for my wife, there she is, so this is my embarrassment moment. Um, I remember we were getting married, I just could not wait to get on our honeymoon. So the same way um, women are dreaming and thinking about the wedding day since you're 13, guys are thinking about the honeymoon since they're 13, okay? Just gonna be honest. I'm just gonna be honest. Now, Jessica and I had an incredible honeymoon. We went to Mexico. We got to like, like uh, go down in these caves and stuff. We went on the pyramids of the Incas and we're like taking selfies and stuff. And we had like an absolute incredible time. And we went in this cave underground and there, it's like a water hole basically. So you like, get to go like cliff diving in an underground cave in the water, and I was like, if you know me at all, I'm like, that's like the best thing in the world. We had an incredible time, the food is like awesome and stuff. You know the worst thing about honeymoon? Is you have to come home after, <laughs> right? It's like the worst part, and so Jessica and I were smart, and we scheduled our honeymoon during Christmas break. So, like, our families were like, but you're going to be gone for Christmas. We're like, peace out, you know, <laughs> bye. And we flew to Mexico and had a, just, like, the best, like, honeymoon you could possibly ever imagine. But we call this kind of thing, you know, we call a honeymoon is the beginning, right? We call it a mountaintop experience, right? It's, like, the best, like, ever and, and basically, the worst part is, we, you know, we got back from our honeymoon, and the mailbox is, like, crammed full of bills, right? And, like, oh, man. And actually, we went in the backyard, and we saw a screwdriver jammed into our door because some kids tried to break into our apartment. Remember that? It was, like, so silly. It was like a screwdriver that big, and they thought they were trying to get in. But basically, all, we also found out some stuff from like our back behind the our house or apartment was like stolen and stuff. So it's one of these things. There's like, wah wah, welcome home. You know, it's like, ugh. And we talk like, can we stay on honeymoon forever? You know. And so, um, in Mark chapter nine, we're going to talk a little bit tonight about mountaintop experiences. 
Some of you might be like going through an awesome time right now. Some of you just got proposed to. You're getting married. We call that essentially honeymoon. Everything's being, going awesome. <laughs> Everything's going right. There's no problems. There's no troubles and, and kind of the reality of life and stuff. But um, it says it, every time, I mean, you go on a honeymoon, you have to face the reality that you have to eventually come back home. You kind of have to face the music. Kind of like you're going to, like spring break's coming up. You're going to be out of school. You're going to be eating all this food. You're going to be sleeping in till like noon, some of you, right? But then you have to kind of face the music, and you're going to eventually have to go back to school, right? <clears throat> so in Mark chapter 9, we're going to pick up where Jesus is walking down the mountain of transfiguration, and we're going to start in verse 14, and there's an encounter that he has with his, with his disciples and with the people as he's walking down this mountain that we're going to read about tonight. So if you got your Bibles, Mark chapter 9 and verse 14, and this is what the Bible says. When they returned to the, to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foamed at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they could not do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of the child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as the people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet. And he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with the disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can be cast only out by prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, this is a very, very strange story that we read. Lord, there's a lot of things that are going on that maybe many of us, including myself, don't even understand. But Jesus, would you just minister to us tonight? Would you help me decrease as you increase, Lord, and speak to every heart here tonight? In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. 
So Jesus and Peter, James, and John have just experienced basically a honeymoon. They've gone up to the mountain, and what basically some background is what's immediately just happened is what the Bible explains is the transfiguration. So Jesus, up on Mount Hermon, he's up there, and he is, takes his, some of his closest guys, Peter, James, and John, and they get there, and the most absolutely outrageous thing happens, and Jesus is transfiguring his glory before them. And it's literally a mountaintop experience. And you can't even really call it anything different. They have an outrageous mountaintop experience with Jesus where his glory is shown. Light starts emanating from his person. God speaks out of the clouds and they see Moses and Elijah. Like the most insane thing ever. If you're, if you're to try to pick like anything that you'd want to be a part of and see with your own eyes, this is kind of the thing that you want to see. And so Jesus is coming down this mountain, and he notices these people walking up towards him. He sees this kind of commotion going on, and this man approaches Jesus. And I want to make out a point here, is the Bible says that people approached Jesus filled with awe. Now, that's an interesting thing. Now, the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, both us, all three synoptic gospels, talk about this same exact story. So it means something when you've got three disciples, right, talking about the same story. All three of them place this story right after the transfiguration. So all of these guys agree that this exact time after the transfiguration, this thing happened. It brings this boy who's absolutely hopelessly demon-possessed, and no one has any idea how or what is going on. They called the disciples to go over there and cast the devil out of this boy, but they failed, and they could not do it. So they were at a loss, and Jesus walks up, and this man approaches him, and he says this, teacher, I beg you to look at my child. Now, when you study the scriptures, and particularly in the gospels, you'll see that Mark will say something, but Luke will share the same story, but he'll give you some details that Mark didn't include. And Matthew also shares the same story, but Matthew gives some details that the other guys missed. They kind of would add things, well, no, he forgot this, so they would add something that happened right in that spot, right? So Jesus is there, and Luke says this, that the guy goes up and says, I beg you to look at my son, my only son. I want you to see the correlation here because this man approaches the one and only son, Jesus. And he says, I beg you to help my son. My and the word he used is only begotten. I beg you to help my only begotten son. This man's whole world is, and his son is basically been suffering and suffering and therefore the father has been suffering and suffering. And so Jesus on the mountain, coming down the mountainside, back into the, this incredible experience where his glory is transfigured. The Greek word is, is a metamorphos, which you know where that word comes from. That Jesus metamorphosed his, himself, his body, and his glory has shown out of himself that's causing everyone to freak out. And Peter, James, and John didn't even have a clue what was happening. But I want you to picture this. 
Because Jesus is walking on the mountain, and the Bible says that they approached Jesus when they saw him, they were filled with awe. Just upon peer, uh, looking and peering at Jesus' person. And a lot of the expositors that you read will conclude basically that the glory and the light that was shown, showing from Jesus was basically still on him, or a remnant of that light was still on him. So like Moses walking down the mountain with the glory of God shining off of his face. Jesus is walking down the mountain into the valley and his glory, the remnant of that light is still there on his face. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how crazy that would be? And so Jesus says these really profound statements. And we're going to kind of dive into what these statements and what these things um, he says. And so the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, you faithless generation or you faithless people. Now, this is kind of crazy. Now, I want to ask you, have you ever like recently, who's here recently been really, really frustrated? <laughs> okay. Like you have that friend or a family member in your life that frustrates you and just eh, gets under your skin and just everything, just everything they say, you're like, you know. So this happens to me when on Sunday we get out of church and, you know, I have this huge craving for Chick-fil-A. I'm going, oh, Lord Jesus. Someone's like, we should go to Chick-fil-A for lunch. Anybody? You're like, oh, man. i like, that's perfect. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. I'm so, like your mouth is watering, like, oh, the pickle and the chicken and, ugh, it's so good. And you're just, the waffle fries and Polynesian sauce, oh, I cannot wait for Chick-fil-A. And then that person comes up and says, well, guys, haven't you forgotten? Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. Anyone there? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Now, I don't know, I don't know whether to get more frustrated at Chick-fil-A as a franchise or to get upset at that person that ruined my dreams. <laughs> and I look at this person and I just look at them and I'm just wanna, I kinda wanna, I'm kind of building up my inner Michael Scott and I'm just saying, you know, I hate so much about the things that you choose to be, <laughs> right? <laughs> How dare you remind me that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. Now, I want you to dial into that frustration because that is exactly what Jesus is experiencing right now. You see, Jesus having this mountaintop experience, he's experiencing also, like, I mean, himself, but his glory is emanating this mountaintop experience, literally, and then descending into the valley, the first thing he encounters is rigid faithlessness. And it's frustrating to him. You see that? It's frustrating Jesus. He says, you faithless generation. How long do I have to put up with you? Says Jesus. Guys, this is something very, very key to understand. Because evidently, unbelief frustrates God. Yeah. Unbelief frustrates and exhausts God. And so he's coming down the mountain. He's just transfigured himself. All of these miracles. He's, his, he's asked his disciples. They've been casting out demons left and right. They're tending the camp while they go up the mountain. And he's there. And the first encounter is people come up 
and there's this arguing going on between them. And you almost have to imagine, see, I'm a church kid, so I immediately can kind of think through what is probably going on. Is they're probably arguing over doctrine. They're probably arguing over, no, Jesus' power has run out. You see, the disciples had all this power, but now it's gone. Jesus really wasn't the Messiah. I'm thinking of John the Baptist. As soon as things start going wrong, he starts to think to himself, are you the true Messiah? After, and I, you just put yourself in Jesus' shoes. He walks up and he's like, what else do I have to do to make you believe? Because unbelief frustrates and exhausts God. And you can just picture the disciples arguing and this thing going on and, and the, them even thinking in themselves, has, the, has our power that Jesus given us run out? Maybe he wasn't the Messiah. Now, I want you to put this in contrast. Unbelief exhausts and frustrates Jesus. But on the other side of the coin, great faith is something that swells up an inner joy inside of God. I'm thinking of the centurion. Remember when Jesus gets in contact with the centurion? And think of this contrast of images. The centurion comes up to Jesus, says, my servant is sick and he lay there dying in the bed back at home. Could you come and heal him? And Jesus is like, sure, show me where he is. And the centurion replies this. He says, no, no, no need for you to come. Jesus, just say the word or snap your fingers and he'll be healed. I don't want to bother you. You don't need to come to the house. Just say the word and he'll be healed and, and, and I'll go home. And Jesus goes, are you kidding me? <laughs> In his own Jesus way, right? He says, <clears throat> He says, I have never seen such great faith in all of Israel. Guys, you know what? I'm, what we're talking about here is great faith is something that brings up an excitement that swells up out of the Messiah. Out of this man who just believes. He just believed. You're the son of God. You're the son of the living God, the chosen Messiah. I've seen you do all these miracles. You don't need to come see the guy. Just say the word. And Jesus said the word, and the guy was healed. Guys, great faith is something that jumps out in front of God's eyes, and he realizes it, he sees it, and he celebrates when he sees that great faith. Here's the thing about unbelief. Unbelief basically shows itself in two ways. Unbelief can be, one, conscious unbelief, or it can be unconscious unbelief. Right? So you've got unbelief is either conscious or unconscious. So that's conscious unbelief is basically what? Is you've got your typical unbeliever. I don't believe that Christianity garbage, no way. Right? I don't believe that Jesus stuff. That's all like written up, you know, garbage and things that don't, that don't matter. That's not backed in science or whatever, all that stuff. But there's, there's that kind of conscious unbelief. And, and it's funny because the Bible talks about how the Lord actually prefers that. Okay, The Lord prefers someone either be absolutely hot or cold. It's the in-between that is so frustrating and then so evil, you see. It's the lukewarmness that God talks about. But, and, but what that is is this unconscious. The disciples have committed a horrible, horrible crime. A horrible, horrible sin. Because they approach and Jesus approaches them... And they don't realize they've got this problem of unbelief. 
You see, the disciples have been performing miracles, they've been doing all these things, but they, they encountered a situation they didn't understand, and it caused them to doubt. It caused them to be unfaithful. And Jesus, discerning their hearts, knew this was going on. Are you all following me? So the disciples show up, and there's this unconscious, unknowing unbelief that's in their heart that they didn't even know was there. Guys, I want to think, let's think about our own hearts for just a second. What if God exposed to us tonight a hidden unbelief in ourselves that we didn't even know about? That we didn't even know was there. You see, oftentimes when you encounter great trial or when you encounter something you do not understand, why is this happening to me, Lord? Why is this going on? It puts you on the spot to trust Christ or not or trust yourself. And oftentimes that's the times where you realize there's like whenever you get scared because that pressure's on you, you run to the habit or you run to the thing that you can kind of rely on because Jesus is too risky, you see. And in that moment, that unconscious unbelief comes up that you didn't even realize was there. Guys, my argument on that is that oftentimes that happens when you face things you don't comprehend. Things that you don't understand. Why is this happening? How is this going on? In Hosea, the Bible says this, that... The, the, the prophet is explaining and talking about Israel saying that there are gray hairs sprinkled about you, but you don't even know it. it says, there's a verse up here. I'm going to read the rest of it. Worshiping foreign gods has sapped their strength, he says, but they don't even know it. Their hair is gray, but they don't even realize they're old and weak. Guys, many of us today walk around with sin in our lives, with doubt in our hearts, with unbelief in our minds, and we don't even realize it. You see, I very firmly believe that sometimes the Lord will cover our eyes to ourselves. He will hide the, how bad your heart really is in order to protect you from the revelation of how bad we really are. That he'll lovingly put blindfolders on so he can slowly remove them because if you were to rip that blindfold off and you were to see all of your wickedness at once, you know what that would do to you? It would be unbearable. It would be absolutely, utterly unbearable to be able to live with yourself. If, so the Lord and lovingly and gently will remove that blindfold one, one centimeter at a time so you can see slowly that sin and that thing that's going on in our lives. But the point that is so dangerous is that we don't even see it. So the disciples tried to cast the devil out. They failed. They're arguing. They're debating. And then this fascinating sentence comes up in Jesus' reply. The man approaches Jesus and says, help us, teacher. Help us if you can. Now, guys, we're talking about unbelief here. And this man approaches Jesus the Messiah, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, and says, help us, have mercy on us, and help me and my boy if you can. And which Jesus' reply, and I want you to focus on this, but pay very close attention to what this means. Jesus replies, what do you mean, if I can? If I can? Guys, this Jesus is the God that made the cosmos with a word. 
This Jesus is the man that marched up the mountain and the glory of God transfigured and metamorphosed, shone out from his body, shone his glory showing out that made men fall to their faces. This is the God that, that hung on the cross, was crucified, buried, and risen from the dead. And, and we dare approach him with things in our lives saying, Jesus, if you can, would you provide? You see what's going on here? And Jesus' reply to this man is, if I can. It's, it's almost like, do you know who you're speaking to? Do you know who it is that you're talking to? Guys, faith is the channel through which divine power passes. Faith is the channel through which divine power passes. When we think about what Jesus has done, I want you to just take this picture. Jesus is standing on this mountaintop, and the disciples are having the experience of a lifetime. They are seeing Moses and Elijah standing next to Jesus. They can't believe their eyes. Peter, very appropriately, sticks his foot in his mouth and says, Jesus, we should build an altar and a shelter for you and Moses and Elijah. And, oh my gosh, what's happening right now? He's like freaking out. He didn't even know what he's saying. And Jesus is like, come on, dude, no. <laughs> right? This insane thing is going on. And Jesus descending off the, into the valley once again. And this unbelief in this doubt, Jesus, if you can, heal my boy. And Jesus saying, if I can. This Jesus went up to a man who was demon-possessed with a legion of demons, guys. And he rips these demons out like they're a pest to him. Like, the, the devil is not this... A lot of people think that, like, you know, I've seen a lot of movies, you know, and there's, like, God and the devil... And God kind of needs the devil, you know, because there's always light and dark, and, and it's this yin-yang thing, right? It's so silly, and, and it's not at all like that. The devil is so scared and terrified of God. He's so terrified of Jesus. Even in this story, we see that as soon as, like, the, the, the child and the demons in the child saw Jesus, they started freaking out. Just the sight of him. He starts to, the, the devils and the demons shudder. Are y'all with me? Jesus is the only solution to this problem. He is the only solution. He's the only hero of the story that we can rely on. He says, if I can, if I can. And guys, the mission of the church is not just so that we have these experiences where Jesus blows you away. Now, in Chi Alpha, we've seen actually quite a few miracles in, in Chi Alpha. Some of you here could even testify to some of this. We've seen people get filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen sicknesses cured. We've seen like $2,000 mission trip budget show up in a mailbox the next day. Amen, Bobby? Right? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> right? We've seen... Guys, we've seen absolutely crazy things that are only explained by the power of God. But I want to tell you something. There's a beautiful thing about miracles. But if you hang all of your hope on just a miracle and, you, and the, the sun goes down and rises the next day and you're trying to hang on to this feeling and this emotion, it's going to let you down. 
We don't hang on tiny experiences that as a day-to-day thing, we hang upon a person who is faithful in the day-to-day, right? And so the mission of the church is not attempting to recreate a honeymoon experience with Jesus. Remember back when you first got saved. Remember when you first heard the voice of God or the, the Holy Spirit touched you that first time. The goal of the church, guys, and the goal of our movement in Chi Alpha today is not that we just try to get back to that honeymoon, just to get back to that one spot. The mission of the church is not just to ascend to the tops of the mountains and to build all of our fancy tabernacles, but also to descend like Christ has done into the valley of pain and suffering and to cope with the power of sin. Are you all with me? Jesus went from absolute beautiful transfiguration and then immediately after descends down into the depths, into the mud and the disgusting stench of unbelief and sin. Guys, the key, you want to know what the key of that mountaintop experience? The key to the mountaintop is necessarily being willing to descend into the valley. If you chase all of these mountaintop experiences, all the honeymoons with Jesus, you get filled with the Spirit in small group or salt, that's an experience that will mark you the rest of your life. But you know what the point of being filled with the Spirit is when you descend back into the valley. The point of having an experience and a mountaintop experience with God that never leaves you the same, that you can never... You can never read the Bible the same ever again because of how what Jesus has done in your life. You can never go to a church service ever again the same because of what Jesus has done in your life. Guys, the reason for it all is not so you can just sit in that honeymoon and say, man, if only we could just stay here forever. The point is so that changed heart in you will be able to handle that trip down into the valley and into the mud, and into the mire, and wrestling with the devil to fight for your friends to know Jesus. Guys, the point of the mountaintop is so that you can descend back into the valley. I don't know where where you're at tonight. You might, spiritually speaking, might be in an incredible season with God. You might be having a honeymoon, so to speak. Your life is just changing rapidly. Or you might be in a desert right now. You might be going through so much trouble, so much turmoil. The key to dealing with those stresses and dealing with those struggles, when you go up that mountain, you have that experience with God. It's not just so you can stay there. The key to ascending is being willing to descend. The key of Jesus being lifted up on a cross on high, that every man gazes upon that cross and believes. And then after this crucifixion, he is what? He descends into the heart of the earth and into hell to receive the keys of the kingdom. As Jesus has been lifted up, we are crucified with Christ and buried in baptism. Are you all with me tonight? If you are lifted up, the point of it is so that you can descend to do the work of the gospel that Jesus has called you to do. The point of that ascension is to descend. Now, where are you tonight? Where are you right now? Are you... On this experience, maybe you've just joined small group. You've just found a group of friends that love you, that are hanging out with you, and you're having like, man, this is awesome, having the time of your life. Or maybe you're struggling. 
Maybe you're going through something horrible and something difficult. Are you on a mountaintop or are you in the valley? As Brittany returns, I'm going to close. Brittany's just going to play some background music. We're going to have a moment tonight to pray together and to be with the Lord. I want to focus on the last thing that this man says. This man sees Jesus. Jesus sees his unbelief. He says, heal him if you can. And Jesus says, if I can, watch this. <laughs> right? And Jesus, his, his, like, it's his spirit reaches in and takes this devil and just, like, like a tiny little plaything, rips this devil out and says, get out of here. And what seemed absolutely impossible, he did the impossible. And this man says this incredible thing. He says, I believe, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief, he says. What a fascinating statement. Lord, please help my unbelief. Help me, Lord. He, he, this, this moment where he just experiences and he realizes, man, there's all this inside of me. I didn't realize it. The blindfolders have just peeled back a little bit and I realized I've been doubting God so much in so many areas of my life. I've been doubting Him. I've been filled with unbelief. And so the proper response, I think, for us tonight is this. Lord, help my unbelief. Because, you know, who is the only one that can cure us of even that? But Jesus Himself. Lord, help my unbelief. And the disciples meet with Jesus after and they say, Lord, this is an honest question. Why couldn't we cast out this thing? And Jesus, another gospel, Mark or Matthew says, because you didn't have faith, you lacked faith. And in several times, Jesus throughout the scriptures makes this point, you have little faith, you have little faith. I want to explain something here, guys. When Jesus is saying, you have little faith, he's saying you, you failed because you didn't have faith. That does not mean that every single prayer you pray that doesn't get answered does not always mean you lacked belief or lacked faith. Meaning that sometimes you'll ask for something and God's answer is no. Does God have the authority to tell you no? It's almost like he's God or something, as Jeremiah said last week. Right? God has the authority. Some, sometimes, guys, people ask for stupid stuff. You know? Like... Lord, please let that girl fall in love with me. And she's like, not the kind of girl you want, right? You just don't know it yet. Or, you know, or, or vice versa. Lord, please let that guy fall in love with me. And he's like, are you serious? Really? Come on. Come on, you know better than that. <laughs> My point is, thank God he doesn't answer all prayers. Okay? And out of our own protection, right? See? But in this case... Jesus is pointing to a problem in the disciples. You guys lack belief. You guys have unbelief. As a Christian, you are going to deal with lots of physical, emotional, and spiritual issues that are way too much for you to handle. It's going to be way too much. Like these disciples encountering this person, and they tried to cast the devil out, and it didn't work. 
and all of a sudden their doubt starts to creep up. Maybe, and they start to doubt. Guys, you're going to deal with things you do not understand. We all are going to deal with issues that are so complicated, so confusing, so challenging and so difficult that is beyond your power, beyond your control, and beyond what you can understand. But what do you do then? What do we do when we face something we absolutely cannot understand? Jesus' response is so perfect. He says, this kind only come out by prayer. Guys, what I'm telling you is this. If you're enduring something, or when you endure something that is just outside of your control, you don't understand why this is happening. How could this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? Or simply something that just doesn't comprehend. It, you just It doesn't make actual sense at all to you. And things seem to be crumbling to pieces. What then do you do? Guys, I submit to you that you take yourself and you fling yourself head first into the swimming pool of prayer. And you bury yourself six feet deep into prayer. Because sometimes, guys, these things only get resolved by prayer. Prayer and fasting, other translations say. Prayer and fasting. Sometimes, guys, you're going to endure something that you don't get it. You don't understand. It seems like absolutely out of your control, out of your power. But sometimes these things only will get resolved by prayer. If you have a problem too big to solve, throw yourself into the arms of Jesus, into the arms of prayer. F.B. Mayer says this, prayer is the activity of faith. Think about that. Prayer is the activity of faith. By you kneeling down on your knees and asking God to fulfill a need or asking him to fulfill a kingdom need, you are implementing faith in action. So, of the heart of that man, help me, Lord, with my unbelief. What do we do? RGV Chi Alpha, Lord, help RGV Chi Alpha with our unbelief. What do we do? We get our knees and we dive into prayer. And we ask the Holy Spirit to do the impossible that we do not comprehend or understand. Are y'all with me? Do you feel the unbelief in your heart? Because I do. Like, Lord Jesus... Guys, if I can just be honest with you, we're going to pretend this is a leader's meeting, if you don't mind. Everyone here, boom, you're leaders. You've just been knighted. Guys, we have a goal in RGV Chi Alpha to make 50 small groups. That is our goal. That's the vision God has given us. We have 22-ish, 23 small groups right now. Our goal is to see God bring us 50 small groups, 5-0. Okay? Do you know what you can do with 50 small groups? You can reach hundreds and hundreds of lost people for Jesus in one year with 50 small groups. You know, we're only halfway there. 50 small groups is not, if if every person in every small group reproduced themselves in one year, we're there. But we all got to do our job, you see. Guys, I am praying for the Lord to give RGV 50 small groups. Because in order for us to reach this campus for the kingdom of Jesus, we need 50 small groups. Can y'all be in agreement with me on that tonight as we pray? Now, some of you are looking around and you're going, bro, chill out. I've been in a small group for like a week. 
Okay? Okay? Don't worry about that. I don't want you to worry about that. I want you to be concerned about that. Because, you know, it, these are things we don't know. I don't know how it's going to happen. I get small group guys and I get friends and I meet new guys. And I'm telling you, I have no idea if you're going to make it or if you're going to fail. I have no idea. It's up to you and God. That's just the way it is. Everyone, I think, oh, man, he's going to be great. Sometimes it, it doesn't work out. And other people, I'm like, Lord Jesus, help him. He's not going to make it. And then they're still here. <laughs> it's like you never, you never know what's going to happen in the army of Jesus. But I'm telling you, your small group is a, is a miniature army that's going to conquer this campus for the sake of Jesus and making his name known. And we're going to join together and say, Lord Jesus, we're going to, we're going to join in prayer and expect that you're going to raise up 50 small groups. I have no idea how it's going to happen. I have no idea how it's going to work, but we're going to trust him. And we're going to say, Lord, help my unbelief. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight.